0: He has come are three words that has changed our eternity. This morning as we focus on the songs of Christmas, we rightly begin with this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Many of you may not realize that it is the oldest Christmas song that we sing today. The song that you know, it wasn't written to the melody that we understand today that that Austin just sang and has been sung throughout the ages, but the reality is it began with a Christian monk, a priest most likely, who was doing what the world has done from the beginning, longing for forgiveness, longing for a savior, longing for life. The text of this song was written separate from the melody. And it wasn't, and and, and listen, when I say the song is old, we're talking probably 1,200 years old are the lyrics on this song. And it wasn't until the 1900s when the lyrics were discovered again and they were finally put to music as we sing it today. But this song represents the cry of the hearts of the world. Because we live in a time where there is a lack of hope. I don't know if you've realized it, but one of the things that is most prevalent in our culture today is depression. And depression usually stems from a lack of hope. Those who battle depression, they, they lack hope, and it's one of the most prevalent things that we see. And there are, there are things that fuel a lack of hope. The current world conditions. We look around today and we see terrorism, we see war, we see fighting, we hear of wars to come. For many of us in this room, we see an increase of godlessness all around us, economic worries, political worries, disappointments in life, health concerns as we age, the loss of loved ones and most of all our own approaching death. But I want you to know today that just as Clint prayed about, just as we sang about in the beginning of this service, we have every reason to hope and it's all because of what we're celebrating when we talk about the advent. The coming of the Christ. And the reason this song is so important is because we still long today to see the Messiah. I don't know about you, But just as much in the Old Testament as they looked forward to this one called Emmanuel, God with us. As believers in Jesus Christ, you know what our position should be? That we still are longing to see him. That every day and every moment of our life, we are looking for the Christ to come again. Because praise God for the first advent, but praise God for the second advent. Praise God that we are going to see our Lord and Savior face to face. And so this morning I want to look at both Advents today. Because to truly understand the nature of this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we have to understand the mission of the one who came, this Christ, this Messiah, this savior. I don't want you to lose where the context of this song comes from. It's extremely biblical out of the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 7, chapter 9. We're going to be in Matthew. We're going to be in Luke. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians this morning. So get your fingers ready to flip some pages. Let me read to you the first time that we see in the Scriptures this understanding of Emmanuel. In Isaiah chapter 7... As always, it seems that Israel was at war. King Ahaz was a king who basically was living in a time where he was beginning to lose hope. The armies had been surrounding him. He had been defeated at least twice in major battles. And as the armies were pressing in on Israel, he had a choice to make. He could trust God for a victory or he could make an alliance with a people with whom God had already told him not to make an alliance. And Isaiah the prophet comes to King Ahaz, and he tells Ahaz that God is willing to give him a sign so that he can know that victory is going to be assured, but what Ahaz doesn't want to say is that he's already made the alliance. And what seems like humility when he says to God, I don't need a sign, I trust you, is the reality that in his heart he already knew and he didn't want to tell Isaiah that he was always, already trusting in someone else. And before we get too down on Ahaz, isn't that just like us? That we know what God has spoken, we know what God has promised. And rather than trusting in the promise, rather than trusting in the word, rather than trusting in the Savior who will guide us and protect us and lead us and help us in our times of trouble, we choose to depend and trust in something other than Him. But the same God that was there is the same God that is with us today today. He still gave the sign, and he still reminded his people that I'm going to be with you. And listen to the sign that was given, and you'll understand the context for the song. In chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel." Now, you see, the beauty of the word Emmanuel is simply is translated, as we'll see in the book of Matthew, God with us. I want you to think about the beauty of that word for a moment, why this song has been sung, why this song was written, the understanding that God is going to finally undo what we did in the garden. When we think about Emmanuel, when we think about the scripture and all that it teaches about our sin, we learn that it has separated us from God, but God has not given up on a relationship with us. We get a little more information about this child that is going to be born, this Son, that's going to be given. When you turn just a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 9, these are the words that you find in Isaiah 9 that become so important to us in verse 6 and 7. It says, For a child will be born to us. You can see the similar language. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish this. And then you turn to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to hear the words of the angel as they are spoken. In verses 26 through 33, let me read them to you. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin. engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And you will bear a son, and his name shall be Jesus. And here's the promise, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. You see, this morning we have hope. And I don't want you to misunderstand the word hope. This verse, these verses speak of hope that mankind has been looking for for millennia and the reality is that this hope, it's not it's not the way we think of hope. We think of hope as I hope I win something. I hope I can win the lottery. I hope someone will call. And really what we're thinking is that we're not really sure when we look at the word hope Many times that, that word is encompassed in uncertainty, but the reality is that's not the hope of Scripture. The hope of Scripture is defined differently than we define it in our English language, it is about assurance. When the Bible says that we have hope, we can count on it. When the Bible says that we have hope, it means that God's promises will be true and our hope is founded in truth. Our hope is founded in something solid. It's not something that we are hoping for, wishing for, maybe one day will happen. No, he says that the hope that we have as believers is that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt And so when we use the word hope today, I want to make sure that you and I are talking about the same kind of hope. That what I'm speaking is what you're understanding. Because we learned this morning several things about hope. We have hope this morning because unto us a child was born. We have assurances and hope this morning because a son was given. And when you go and you look at chapter 7 of Isaiah, what you find is this one who is coming, this one who has been promised, this one in whom we lay our hope. You know what it says? It says that when he comes, this Emmanuel, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take us out of our gloom. Now let that sink in a minute. When we just said that the most pressing issue in our culture today, one of the things that we see so many people struggling with in their depression, this lack of hope, Jesus comes and interjects hope into hopelessness. And out of the gloom that we face in this life, and folks, we know that there are so many things in life that that bring gloom. He says that out of gloom, this Messiah will bring gladness. To the point that James, the brother of Jesus, would say that this Messiah will change everything so much that we'll be able to count it all joy no matter what trial we go through in this life. And not just out of the gloom, but He will be our source of gladness. He will be our source of light. You see, the reality is that when this Messiah comes to this earth, he's going to find a people who are living in darkness. A people who have so long suppressed the truth, they don't know what the truth is any longer. So steeped in their sin, so separated from God, this God who is light, they live in utter darkness. And he says that in the midst of that darkness... God is about to shine a great light. He'll be our source of joy. Chapter 7 says that he'll be our conquering, listen to this, our conquering king. The Bible progressively reveals what God is intending to do. He doesn't give us the whole plan up front. In the Bible, we learn bits and pieces about God as we go further and further, and not just about God and the names of God, but we start to see more clearly the purposes of God the further we get in Scripture. And of this Messiah, literally two chapters ago that He is just named Emmanuel, God with us, now we come to find that He is going to be the source of those things for us, but He also will be, listen to the words, He will be our wonderful our wonderful counselor. You see, the beauty of a counselor is the beauty of what Emmanuel means. The presence of Jesus. I want you to let that sink in a second. I don't need explanations near as much as I need him with me. Isn't that the whole context of our faith? That, That we don't trust in our own understandings, but what, and we don't lean on them, what do we trust in? We trust in the Lord. Everything changed the moment that we realized that He came to us, that this wonderful counselor would bring wisdom to us, would illuminate the path for us, would show us eternal life. This counselor, the greatest thing about this wonderful counselor that is spoken about in Scripture Is that we may not have a Jesus that always comes with an explanation, but he always comes to us with his presence. The Word of God, this Savior, gives us counsel for every crisis and for every problem that we face. Believe me when I say that the Word of God has a plan, He's got a solution for our selfishness, He's got answers for our anxiety. And there is a message of hope for every man that comes through this wonderful counselor. He says that he will not only be our wonderful counselor, but our mighty God. Those words translated literally mean a strong one. Our mighty God is the picture of a powerful, valiant warrior. It's literally the nuance of where the word hero comes from in that language. Aren't you glad we have a hero? How many of y'all love Marvel movies? Kinda. DC Comics, whatever. There's something in us that stirs, that longs for a hero. That everything can be in chaos, but you know what's about to happen, right? You know Batman's about to show up. You know Superman's about to show up. You know somebody is about to come and save the day. Well, folks, let me tell you something. There's never been a hero like Jesus who didn't just come to fight on our behalf, but you want to talk about a valiant warrior who sacrificed his life so that we might live. This mighty God who is also a wonderful counselor, has the power to fulfill God's plan of salvation. I love the way John MacArthur wrote. He said, Christ the King loves to step into the life of chaos and not just provide wonderful counsel, but he also displays his divine power by bringing order to our chaos. And one of the greatest things about the Christmas season is the reminder of one of the most simple verses in all of Scripture. But every time I think of Christmas, the first thing, the first thing that I think about when I hear the first carol on the radio, when I see the first fruitcake putting up the tree in October, (laughs) with God, nothing is impossible Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. It says that He'll be our everlasting Father. Many times we get confused because we say, is He the Father or is He the Son? But the picture that He's given to us is that this Jesus that is coming, this Messiah, this Emmanuel, this Son, it's simply stating that it should bring us great hope to know that God has come near. As you see the Savior in the stable this Christmas, I want you to focus on the fact that He is like a loving Father who cares for you with compassion. Like a good Father, He wants to embrace you with comfort. cares for the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the cast out one, the lame, the blind, the sick, the dead. And like a good father, Like an everlasting father, aren't you glad that God runs to us with compassion? Like a good father, he's there when we need him the most. So if you feel orphaned or insecure, I want you to know that he understands. I want you to remind yourself with these verses that he loves you and he is committed to be compassionate to you. He's always there. Let this sink in. He is always there. The greatest, most often repeated promise in all of Scripture I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Emmanuel screams that God is there. He's never preoccupied, He's never too busy for you, He's never disinterested in the affairs of His children. But he will forever be our provider and our protector forever. Because he is our everlasting father. And it says that he will be our prince of peace. Doesn't peace sound good? A settled heart. Most of you in this room would give anything to just have a settled heart. But that's what faith in the Messiah brings. The knowledge that he is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father who is always there to meet us with compassion leads us to this place that we realize that we serve the Prince of Peace. You say, what kind of peace did he come to bring? Well, number one, he brought you peace with God. Those who were dead in their trespasses and sin have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Though we were slaves to sin, now he has made us slaves to righteousness. Though we were once enemies, once we were darkness, the Bible says that now he calls us his children and has brought us into his wonderful, magnificent light. peace with God, sin's forgiven. What was wrong has been made right through the shed blood of Jesus, through the price that was paid to save us. And so peace with God comes from this prince of peace and not only peace with God, but the peace of God. And not just the peace of God, but when we find peace with God and we find the peace of God. And we realize how much he has forgiven. How deeply he has loved us. How patient he's been, how forgiving he's been. How though we have run from him, he has chased after us. You see, when we find peace with God and the peace of God. What is destined to come is that peace even exists between us and others. How can it not? When we truly understand the gospel. I love the way Ephesians 2.14 states that for he himself, meaning this Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, for he himself is our peace. But secondly, not only do we have hope because unto us a child was born, a son was given, but we have hope because unto you a Savior is born. Do you notice the difference in those two statements? One was for unto us, but when he came to Joseph and he came to Mary, and what he would say to you is the gospel is much more personal than just us. Do you realize that God sees you? Because the declaration of the angel was for unto you. Let that sink in, Miss Barbara, for you. Nan, for you. He saw you. He knew you. He loved you. Miss Stephanie, for you. Robert? Robert? For you, Mark Niemeyer, for you, a Savior was born. Larry Wright, even for you, as hard a time as you give the pastor, even for you, guess what? I know you love me. I love you. A Savior was born, Larry, for you. Rita, for you. Pastor, for you. Do you see the hope in those verses? When you read Matthew chapter 1 and you turn your Bible right side up, in Matthew chapter 1, let me read to you those precious words. Beginning in verse 21, speaking to Joseph. In Matthew one twenty one, he said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet. And here's that verse. Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. And when you turn over to Luke chapter 2, the great story of Christmas that we read every year. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. When speaking to the shepherds, it says, But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people for today in the city of David, there has been born for who? For who, church? For you. The lowly shepherds, the forgotten shepherds. For you. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Thirdly, we have hope because our Savior died and he rose again. This Savior who came, if you remember, it's important to know the mission of Emmanuel. And the mission of Emmanuel, God with us, was so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be purchased again and and bought off of that slavery to sin that we had. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't find forgiveness any other way than the wage of sin being paid, which was death, but this Emmanuel who would come, he would come to save us from our sins. And this child who was born at Christmas, I don't want you to ever lose sight that that baby would become the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. This child was born to die. For who? For everyone in this room, for everyone in this world, this child was sent. And I want you to see the glory of what's coming, not just the first incarnation or the the incarnation of Christ and the first coming of Christ. But I want you to see that Scripture still speaks of a moment when Christ is coming. There is still hope for us today. And every bit as much as in the Old Testament, every bit as much as a Catholic priest somewhere in the mountains, every bit as much as the people who have sung this song across 1,200 years, we still, our hearts should still cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Because here is another glorious truth I want to share with you today. Out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me just, even though it's not going to be on the screen fully, if you want to change it next service, I'm going to do a little audible here. Let me back up to 13. It says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, or meaning those who've died, So that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. There's that word. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, listen to this, will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice And the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Let that promise sink in this Christmas. The king is coming again. And when he comes and gets his children, understand, we will be with him, God with us, for how long? Forever. Why are these verses important? Because verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another. With these words, we have hope because our Savior died and rose again when he says there in verse 14, for if we believe there again in English, it doesn't sound right to us that if there is not filled with uncertainty in the Greek language, when you see if most times in the Bible, it's best translated since, not if within uncertainty, but since he says since Jesus Christ has been resurrected. Guess what that means for us? We will be too. Let that sink in. Just as surely as Christ lived and gave his life as a sacrifice and was buried in that tomb and in three days he came out of that tomb, do you realize that since that happened, since that occurred, the promise to you and I is that we will one day be raised again. Do you see the glorious hope of Christmas? Fourth and lastly, we have hope. Because according to Thessalonians, here our future is certain. How many of you worry about the future? Liars. How many of y'all worry about the future? Okay, there we go. I thought, you're going to lie in church. How about that? Why do we worry about the future? Why can't we believe Jesus when he says, just focus on today? Tomorrow has more than enough troubles. Why can't we focus on the fact that, you know what? We serve a God who's sovereign, a God who is in control, a God who, though we may seem like to us that that the world is chaos, it's not to him. Though we may feel out of control, God is never out of control. And the reality is, all the way to the end of history, the end has already been declared. And remember, we said the king who is with us, the king who is coming... Is a king who is victorious. Remember, we said that? And, folks, we can have hope because these verses speak to us of a future that is certain. He says that there is a day coming, and we call it the return of Christ. The return. Let me give you four little R's here the return. You know what it says about the return of Christ? It says there are three sounds that are connected to his return. It says, first, there will be a shout. Now I want you to know who the one shouting is. The one shouting is Emmanuel. The one shouting is King Jesus. And I want you to understand, when he uses the term shout there, it is a command. When he issues this shout, I want you to know it's a cry of command. I want you to think about Lazarus. When he stood over Lazarus's tomb, and what did he say? Lazarus, come forth. And guess what Lazarus did? Four days dead, he walked out of that grave. And when God says, don't worry, he's just asleep. <laughs> See, the Bible says those who are asleep... Don't think that the grave is the end. If you notice there, he doesn't talk about death because death has been what? Conquered by the victorious king. And you see, for us, death is nothing more. I mean, it's truly a dirt nap. It's just sleep. It literally, he says... That death isn't the end. He says that those who close their eyes, guess what's going to happen? They're going to open them again in the presence of Jesus in a moment. To be absent from the body is what? Is to be present with. The Lord, And he says that there is going to be this shout. And I want you to know that it is the Lord himself. It's not Michael. It's not Gabriel. It's not Peter. It's not a billion angels. It is the Lord himself that will descend. Does that stir your heart? It ought to. That's why we cry, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Wouldn't you love to see the eastern sky split? And hear the shout of our Lord. And He says not only is there going to be a shout. But there's going to be. What else? There's going to be a voice right? A voice of the archangel. It doesn't name for us exactly who that's going to be. But there's going to be a voice of the archangel. And not just the voice of an archangel. But it says and with the trumpet of God. The trumpet of is referenced, again, if you go over just a few pages back up and you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you hear a little description of this, uh, a little foreshadowing this in 1 Corinthians. When you look at chapter 15, look at what it says. In verse 51 and 52, it simply says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, what? Trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. They were familiar in this day with the trumpet because trumpets were used to declare war, to announce special times and seasons. And it was used most often in Israel. (laughs) I love the picture of this. To gather people together for a journey. And that's what God is going to do in that last day. He's going to gather his people. Because we don't just have the return when we speak about the future, but we have the resurrection when Christ comes again. The beauty of this verse is it says that we will all share in the glory of that day. You see, the Christians of Thessalonica were worried about those who had died before. What will happen to them? Will they miss this glorious day when Christ comes and raptures his church? When Christ comes and at, at the moment of this resurrection, what's going to happen to those that have gone before? Are they going to miss out on the glory of that? And he says, absolutely not. Because when Jesus comes, guess who he comes with? The saints. And their bodies will be resurrected first. Those who have died and those that are alive, there will be one glory for both. The glorious resurrection. And he speaks of, thirdly here, the rapture. We have hope because our future is certain because of the rapture. This is where we find that term, not in the Greek, but actually in the Latin is where it's translated, that word rapture. Rapturing means to snatch. Your mama ever tell you she's going to snatch you up? See, some of you were raptured more than once. To carry off by force. Anybody ever have that happen? That's what that word means in the Latin and how it's translated over into English for our word rapture. Because that word, rapture, gives us the idea. It's not from the perspective, because it almost sounds like, like something that's forced. That's not what he's getting at here. What he's saying is this is from Christ's perspective. I want you to remember that Jesus says that we are the bride of Christ, isn't it? Isn't that what he said of us? And that one day, remember John 14, it says, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Remember those verses? He says, what is he going to do? I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And then what's going to happen? I'm going to come back. And I'm going to what? I'm going to snatch you up. Were you excited to see your bride? Were you excited to get arm in arm and to leave that building? To go start this life? that you've dreamed about together, that's the picture that he is giving to us here. It is of a groom coming to get his bride. For every bit as much as he longs, or you long to be with him, he longs to be with you in the most real sense. and the day is coming when he's going to rapture his children who are still alive and the bodies of those who have gone before will be resurrected and then we come to this beautiful truth of the reunion the return the resurrection the rapture and then these verses speak of the reunion and i want you to notice about this reunion it says those who are alive and remain will be caught up with together with them meaning those who had passed on before, isn't it good to know that there's going to be a great reunion in heaven? And I want you to know that it begins with who? It begins with Jesus, the one who gave the shout, we are going to be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. See, the greatest reunion that's going to happen is the reunion that happens with Jesus. Jesus. Forever, this text tells us, forever we will be with Jesus. No more separation, no more sin, no more sickness, no more dying, no more curse. Life and blessing, forever. We'll finally be together with Jesus, and Jesus will undo what death and sin did. He's the great reconciler. He, he will reunite us all. But I want you to know where we'll be is not nearly as important as who we'll be with. That's why he says the streets are gold, you don't even pay attention to it. When's the last time you ever noticed the beauty of the uh, roads in North Carolina? Or you walked up and said, wow, that's a beautiful gate. No, no, the gold, the, the, the things that we consider so valuable here, they're going to be pavement in heaven. they are going to be nothing because the place isn't what's important. You know what's important? Who you're with. Jesus. The entire content and worth of heaven, the entire blessedness of eternal life is being reunited with Jesus our Savior and our Lord. And so folks, this morning As Kevin comes, I I just want you to meditate today. Pray today. Consider and chew on today. Is the cry of your heart the same cry that has been cried out From the moment that Adam sinned. The same cry. That Noah had realizing that God's judgment was coming. The same cry that was screamed out from Nineveh. Because they knew God's judgment was coming. The same cry of the Israelites as they were carried away into exile, having lost everything. The same cry that was happening through 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, come! Oh, come, Emmanuel. Do you long for your salvation to be complete? Do you long for the day when you get to rid yourself of this flesh and go to the place that God has prepared you where there's no more sorrow, sickness, pain, suffering, separation? Folks, this is what Christmas is all about. The coming of Emmanuel. So if you don't know this Christ, this Savior, this conquering King, then I pray that today you'll give your life to Him. You see, He came with one mission in mind to save you from your sins. He accomplished it, as we spoke about, from by dying on the cross. The payment of death or of sin was was death. And when he died, that death on that cross, he died in your place. He died so that you could be set free. Someone was going to pay the price. How amazing that God with us took our place and died our death. And he says, if you will simply believe, cry out to God for forgiveness, turn from your sins and trust that God will change your heart and change the very course of your life and your eternity. Can you give Him control and surrender your life to Him today? If you've never done that, I pray that today will be the day, the moment that you do. In church, for those of us that are in Christ, do you even give, give the eastern sky a glance? Are you so caught up day to day that you're putting your hope in things that will never satisfy are you clinging to this life, not realizing, no, no, the most beautiful moment in life is going to be when Jesus comes and snatches us up? Takes us to be with Him forever. Are you living for that day or are you living for this day? Father, we just thank you. And Lord, today you promise us life, your presence, all things that are good in this life, they come from your hand. And Father, We are grateful today for that child that would be born whose name was Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. That name that pointed to what you would accomplish on the cross for us, that you came so that you could die and so that we could be set free. And so, Father, today, if there is someone that has placed their faith in you, that right where they are are praying to to be forgiven, they're praying to be changed, they're praying to surrender their life to you, believing that you can accomplish it because of the cross and your burial and your resurrection, then, Father, I pray that today you would give them the courage when we sing to just come down and to make it known to the world and to this church that I have given my life to Christ, that they would follow Christ in baptism. Lord, give them the courage to step out and to come down and to let us know what you're doing in them. And, Father, for the rest of us, Lord, may our hearts long to see your presence and your face in the most real way. To see salvation completed. We know that the promise is true. We know that it's as good as done. But, Lord, we long for the day that you undo what the curse has done. A new heaven, a new earth. Life with you forever. We praise you for the promises in Jesus' name. Amen.